Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I want to welcome all of you this morning that are worshiping with us online. And uh, you might not know this, but we estimate that there are about a thousand of uh, individuals, thousand of you every weekend that participate in our worship services online. And so we're so glad that you have chosen to join us and worship with us. And, and all of you just viewing online, I do want to say that our hope and our desire is that at some point, um, we would be able to meet you face to face at one of our campuses. And I want to welcome all of you here at our central campus all of you in Airdrie, all of you at our Northwest Theaters, um, our campus there, Bridgeland Campus and our South Campus. And, you know, all of us together make up one church in various locations all across this city of Calgary and Airdrie. So welcome. Now, this morning, we are starting our uh, summer series on the book of Jonah. And we're going to be spending the whole summer. Uh, it'll carry, this series will carry us to the end of August there. And Jonah might be a familiar book to many of you. You might remember Jonah as the book where the prophet was thrown overboard uh, in order to make a violent storm calm. Or you might remember Jonah as the guy that was swallowed up by a big fish. Or um, you might remember Jonah as the reluctant prophet who um, just didn't want to go tell the people of Nineveh about God's grace and, and uh, mercy. And while this book is familiar to many of us, I wonder how many of us have taken the time to study through it, to really dig into it and understand what this book is saying to us. And we're going to do that this summer. Now, why did we choose the book of Jonah? For a couple of reasons. You see, within this book of Jonah, we see very clearly, very visibly, the gospel message. We see sin and grace in visible ways and for many of us, we've been in church for quite a while, and the words sin and the word grace are pretty common to us. And when things become common, sometimes they, we can just become complacent, and we can really forget what sin really is and the devastating impact that it has on our lives. Or we can um, take grace for granted, the grace that we experience in Jesus Christ. The word sin and grace can become ambiguous to us, common to us. I mean, what is sin? What is grace? What is the gospel? just a few moments as we look at the first few verses in Jonah here, we're going to see an example of sin. Jonah runs away from God in rebellion and disobedience towards God. But then just a few verses later, we see God acting out in extravagant grace, in an act of grace, and trying to win Jonah back to himself. Even in spite of Jonah's rebellion and, and uh, running away from God, God doesn't let Jonah get away. He wants to win Jonah back to himself. That's the gospel, right? Unmerited favor, unmerited grace in Jesus Christ. So we can relate to Jonah. We can relate with his interactions with God. We can relate to struggling um, in doing what is right, even though we know what is right and what's wrong. At times we choose to do what's wrong. We can relate to Jonah because we've experienced self-pity and anger and resentment and, and struggling with grace that is offered to others who we feel maybe they don't deserve God's grace. So in the book of Jonah, we see concrete, visible examples of sin and grace and the gospel. Another reason why we chose this book is because, you see, the book of Jonah really isn't about the prophet. 
The book of Jonah really isn't about a big fish. It's about a city, a city that God loves. It's about the wicked and evil city of Nineveh. It's a story of God's love for this evil and wicked city. And, the, and God's love for people in that city. You see, at the very end of the book of Jonah, God has a question for Jonah. And God says this, Jonah, should I not love this great city? Should I not love this great city? So we see that God loves those who are wicked and evil. And he wants to give them a chance to turn back to him. What we see here is that God loves the cities of the world. God loves cities, Paris and Tokyo, Cape Town, Rio de Janeiro, Mexico City, Los Angeles, Moscow, Beijing, New York, Calgary, even Edmonton, and every other. <laughs> you know that joke never gets old, hey? Just making fun of these guys. <laughs> but we see here that God loves cities. He sees the cities of the world. He loves cities. He loves Calgary. He loves Airdrie. He loves Chestermere and Cochrane and Strathmore and Okotoks and, and cities surrounding Calgary. He loves cities. So as we go through this book, our prayer is that we will wrestle if we love the cities that we live in just as God loves the cities that we live in. Because you see, if we love the cities that we live in and God loves the cities that we live in, and what does that mean for what God might want us to do? What is he saying to us about that we live, the way that we live in the cities that we live in? And so our challenge to you is to read through the book of Jonah over and over and over again. Just read through it and ask God to speak to you through his word, and he'll speak to you about sin and grace and the gospel in the cities. So we want to spend the rest of our time looking at the first five verses in Jonah, where Jonah really tries to run away from God. Now, you know, I've heard, I hear stories of kids that try and run away from home, and maybe they do run away from home and for, you know, an hour or a few days or whatever it might be. And I thought we'd do a little survey. We've been doing this in each one of our services. So who in here has tried, tried or run away from home? A few of you. Some of you are putting up the hand of the person next to you. You know, I, don't, I, I never ran away from home, but there was a time that I was angry at my parents as a child, really angry at them. And, um, and I thought about leaving home. I thought about, you know, running away and maybe to make them feel bad, you know. <clears throat> and so I had some conversation with my parents, and I actually I said to them, you know, I was thinking of leaving home or running away or something like that. And, and it didn't, you know, I didn't think through that very well because when you run away, I guess you do so in secret. But here I was telling them. And, <clears throat> and then my parents, you know, said, well, Kent, where are you going to go? What are you going to eat? Where are you going to sleep? And in that conversation, it became pretty clear to me, this wasn't a really good idea, you know, as a kid. So kids, if you're in the room, don't run away from home. Just talk to your parents. It'll all work out. But we see here in the first few verses of Jonah, Jonah tries to run away from God. These first few verses set, to, set the stage for the whole book. God speaks to Jonah says, get up and go to Nineveh. And the whole rest of the book is Jonah's journey and trying to run away from God and then Jonah ending up in Nineveh. And so let's stand, stand with me and let's read together these five verses. <coughs> 
The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break apart the ship. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, as we read this ancient text, and really your words to us, we know that your words in this book are living. They're made living by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that as we look into your word for us this morning, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would correct us. We ask that you would be gentle and gracious to us, but be very intentional in bringing to attention the things in our lives that we need to talk with you about, that we need to address as we are followers of you, Jesus. So we, we make ourselves available, Holy Spirit, for you to do your work in us in a supernatural way through your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please have a seat. So the book of Jonah, it's four chapters long, a total of 48 verses. But who is Jonah? Who is this guy? Jonah was a contemporary of Amos and Hosea, meaning that he lived at the same time as these two other individuals who wrote uh, books in the Old Testament. Jonah, Amos, Hosea are minor prophets. We know from 2 Kings chapter 14 that Jonah was a prophet who lived just outside the city of Jerusalem in a town called Gath. That's where he lived. That's where he was from. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 confirms that Jonah was a prophet who lived in Israel, who prophesied to the people of Israel. So we know that Jonah served God. He was a messenger of God to God's people. Jonah lived during the, the reign of King Jeroboam II, about 700 years before the time of Jesus Christ. And during this season, this was a great uh, time of peace and prosperity for the nation of Israel. Those nations who in the past had been at war with Israel and there was conflict between them, these nations now were either fighting each other or fighting other enemies, and so there was peace relative prosperity in Israel during this time. Prosperity that almost rivaled when King Solomon ruled and reigned over Israel. So we know that Joseph is a real guy, real prophet. We know that Jonah knew God in a very close and personal way. Jonah had a relationship with God. Jonah heard God speak to him. Jonah acted on behalf of God. They had a relationship with one another. Jonah knew what God's intention was for the people of Israel. Jonah knew what God's mission was in this world. But you see, what is quite unusual and unique to Jonah 
is that God has a message now for the people of Nineveh, which is a city in Assyria. And God wants Jonah to leave Israel and go deliver this message to them. Assyria had been in the past an enemy and was at war with Israel. You can read about different battles that took place between the Assyrian nation and Israel in the Old Testament. These two nations fought against each other. But what we see is that what got God's attention um, concerning this city of Nineveh was its wickedness. This was an evil city. Its wickedness had, had reached a tipping point. Nineveh had a reputation for unrestrained cruelty to their own people and to those outside of the nation of Assyria. This was an evil, wicked city. Their offenses have accumulated, so to speak, and they've, God has just reached his point of tolerance towards this city, and God says something has to be done. And so God does something now. See, up till this point in Scripture, we see prophets of God only prophesying within and to people living in Israel. This is the way that God's prophets operated. We don't know of another time in the Old Testament where God sent a prophet from Israel to a city in another foreign nation with a message from him. And a message that this other nation, this other city should turn from their evil and their wicked ways, repent and turn back and follow God and be obedient to him. See, what God asked Jonah to do here was unprecedented. It had never been done before. Never been done. And so can you imagine what Jonah is thinking when he hears God tell him, go to this other nation? I mean, Jonah probably was thinking, God, I didn't sign up to go there. I agreed to be your prophet here to the people of Israel in the country that I love, with the people that I'm familiar with. I didn't sign up for that. I mean, think about it. A prophet of Israel going to one of the major cities of an enemy nation, telling them that Israel's God is going to punish them if they don't turn from their wickedness and serve the God of Israel. I mean, how do you think that's going to go over, really? A current scenario might be this. Imagine it this way. You are a representative of the Canadian government, and you're a Christian. And God says to you, go by yourself into ISIS-controlled territory and stand up in front of a whole large group of people, a whole city, and tell them, you better stop what you're doing, turn from your wicked and your evil ways, because God is going to punish you, and unless you serve my God, he will bring judgment upon you, so stop what you're doing and worship God. How do you think that's going to go over? That's the same scenario here. I mean, Jonah would have first of all thought this command was a suicide mission. Unless somehow God miraculously protected and watched over him, this was a suicide mission. But secondly, Jonah believed that Nineveh deserved whatever judgment God was preparing for this city. He didn't want to go to his country's enemy and tell them that God was open to extending them grace and forgiveness and a chance to turn from their sin and worship him. Jonah thought they were too wicked, too evil, had done too much. They deserved judgment. And again, he didn't want to risk his life so that others could get what they didn't deserve. You see, friends, already we see the gospel in this story. 
Already we see God's grace, his extravagant grace that is open to anyone, no matter how wicked, how evil, how far from God. They are able to be forgiven and get what they don't deserve. We already see the gospel and grace and sin here in this story. And so God speaks very clearly to Jonah. (coughs) But then we read this, but Jonah. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. See, what happens here is Jonah leaves his town of Gath. He goes down to the coastal regions in Israel here. He goes to this town of Joppa, which is still a city today, a town today, just south of Tel Aviv. He goes to Joppa. He gets on a boat that's headed for Tarshish. And not only is Jonah running away from the task, right, that that God wants him to do, but Jonah is trying to run away from the presence of the Lord. He's trying to get away from God. And here's what it looks like. Imagine my hand right here. This is Joppa, Israel, right in Israel. 1,300 kilometers to the northeast is Nineveh. 1,300 kilometers away by land. Scholars believe that the, the current city of Mosul is either on or very close to the ancient city of Nineveh. So 1,300 kilometers to the northeast is where God was saying, Jonah, go. Jonah gets on a boat here and heads over 5,000 kilometers in the opposite direction to Spain. To Spain. He's headed as far as he knows to go, as far, you know, far on the edge of the known world at that point to Spain to try and get away from God. He goes in the complete opposite direction. Now, Jonah had a choice when God spoke to him. Jonah had a choice to make. He could have said, you know what, God? well, I'm going to be obedient to you. Or he could have said, you know what, God? I'm just going to hunker down here. I think I'm okay being a prophet to the people of Israel. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to do what you originally told me to do. God, you've changed the rules on me. This isn't going to work for me. I'm staying put. But instead, Jonah tries to run from God, get away from him. You know, in a way, Jonah does get up and go, but he just goes to the wrong city. He goes to the city of his own choosing, not what God asked him to do. He's trying to run away from God. More specifically, Jonah tries to get away from the presence of God. And in Hebrew, the word presence literally means face. Jonah is trying to get away from the face of God, the relationship with God the face-to-face dialogue, the face-to-face revelation that that Jonah experiences from God, Jonah's trying to get away. You see, for all of us, before we stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we were all running away from God. The Bible is very clear about that. We were all running away from God at one point. But at some point in our lives, many of us in this room knew that we needed a Savior. We knew we needed God. And through Jesus Christ, we stepped into a relationship with God, and we continue in that relationship with Him. But even in spite of that, sometimes we do run from God. We do. There might be an area of our life that we haven't surrendered to God. We haven't given God control over that area of our life, or, or there's a part of our character that is still that is still sinful. We don't like it. We know that it's there. We know we act out and behave in certain ways, and we, we haven't really dealt with that aspect of our life, our character with God, or perhaps the whole of our life. Maybe we don't believe in God. 
And so we're running from him in different ways. Maybe still today you find yourself running from God. The way that this plays out in our lives sometime is this. See, the problem that we have at times is we equate our life with God. What I mean by that is this. You know, if life's going great, well, we, us and God are great. But sometimes life goes bad. Pain or hurt or crisis or suffering. And so when life goes bad, we say, well, God, forget about you. And I'm going to leave you. I'm going to turn from you, run away from you, and go on my own. Because life is bad. And maybe at times we feel that the only purpose that God has in our life is to make our life good. We equate our life with God. And while life doesn't go well, we turn from God. Maybe we equate church with God. So we have a bad experience with a church, some church, maybe this church. We have a bad experience with church, and so we say, well, forget about God, and we turn and run and walk away from Him. Or perhaps we equate a Christian and God, and we get hurt by a Christian, we get betrayed by a Christian, we get condemned or criticized or or whatever it is by a Christian, and so we say, well, forget about God then, and turn away from God. Perhaps your marriage is difficult. So you say, forget about God. Marriage is too tough. I'm going to turn and walk away from God. Perhaps life gets busy. Kids, sports, hobbies, work. See, we make choices about all of these things. Because a busyness creeps into our life, our schedule just gets overpacked. And we slowly start to drift away from God, away from Christian community. And maybe we wake up at some point and we think, how did I get here? Distance from God, far away from God, because other things have taken place as a priority in my life. You know, what I find often, though, is we allow sin to get into our life. Just plain old sin. It seems fun, it seems to give us pleasure, seems to be good. You know, I can't really hurt too much, this sin in my life. And so we just begin to participate in that, doing whatever that is. And eventually, we turn away from God because of sin in our lives. You see, when, we're, when we are participating, when we're willfully sinning, we are so short-sighted. <laughs> We don't see where our actions will take us down the road. We're just so short-sighted. We can only see, you know, three meters in front of us because of what we're doing. And and at times, this is what I see. As we turn from God, we walk away from God because of sin in our lives. Like Jonah, we try and hide from God. We try and run away from him. Look at what Psalm 139 says, though. I can never escape from your spirit. David says this. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. 
You see, at times we try and run from God, hide from his presence, get away from him. But in reality, we can never run from where God is. Jonah, in fact, acknowledges this in verse 9, chapter 1, saying, you're the God of the sea, you're the God of the land. In reality, we can never get away from where God physically is, but we can. We can disobey him, we can run away from him in rebellion, we can distance ourselves in our relationship from him. And when we try and run from God, two things occur in our lives. Two things occur. The first is this. When we do run from God, our relationship with God begins to diminish. It begins to erode. It begins to vanish. It begins to wane. You see, our disobedience to God does this to us. When we're disobedient towards God, we feel shame, we feel condemnation, we feel yucky, we feel unacceptable to God. We can forget that we are loved children of God. We can forget who we are. We can believe the lies that Satan speaks into our lives at that point. We can feel distance from God, and our relationship with him begins to suffer. We can even choose not to pray. We can choose, again, at that point, not to read his word to us. We can distance ourselves from other Christians, worship services like this. All of that diminishes our relationship with God. Running away from God will erode our relationship with God. The result is a loss of closeness with God, a loss of intimacy with God where we hear him speak to us. And at the end, it could be a loss of a relationship with God altogether. You see, when we run from God, there is great cost to our running. This will happen. This is what happened when we run away from God. You see, at the end of verse 5 here in Jonah, (coughs) Jonah is actually asleep in his disobedience. We read here that there's a crazy storm going on and Jonah's asleep in the hull in the in the in, in the hull of this boat and there's a crazy storm going on all around him and he's completely unaware of that. He's completely unaware of his actions and the consequences that they have been brought about. He's fast asleep. And this is almost a metaphor of what his relationship with God has become like. He's asleep, spiritually asleep, spiritually slumbering, spiritually oblivious to what he's doing and what his actions are doing. He's asleep, ignoring, complacent in his relationship with God because he's running away. Over the past month, there's an individual who who, um, came to our church and it was clear that they wanted to surrender their lives to Christ. They, were just, they wanted to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. God was definitely doing something in this person's heart and their spirit to, to move him towards himself. But this person knew that if they surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, received him as their Savior, it would mean some things would have to change in their life. And one of the things was that they'd have to stop being intimate with the person that they were dating. And at the end of that whole conversation, they decided to not choose God and to continue in the opposite direction from him. You see, when we run from God, we experience distance in our relationship with him. So my question for you is, do you find yourself these days moving towards God or moving away from him? 
Is there distance in your relationship with God? And is now the time for you to take some steps, some practical, tangible steps to move towards God and to stop running away from him? Again, maybe this isn't an area of your life or the whole of your life. Is it time for you to begin to take some steps towards God? You know, often these steps involve confessing and repentance and and surrender to God again, receiving forgiveness and moving back towards him. But throughout history, Christians have found that one of the things that helps them in their developing a relationship with God and developing a closeness and intimacy with God and hearing his voice One of the things that Christians have found is reading scripture and prayer. Two simple practices, reading scripture and prayer. This is the pattern that Christians throughout history have used in developing a relationship with God. And it's one of the things in my life that I've become far more diligent about is reading scripture and prayer. The pattern for my life is getting up in the morning and and trying my best to spend 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes someday, reading scripture and in prayer. And one of the, one of the patterns of doing that that I've, that I've uh, am using currently is this little book. And, and really, it's for those of you who have been through our Freedom Session course here, it's a way that we teach people to read scripture and pray. And one of the little booklets that I'm using right now is this little devotional booklet to help me do that, to guide my time with the Lord. You can pick this up at Appleseed if you want to do this. Um, but what I do and what this little journal guides me with is reading scripture. And then I pause and I, I highlight some words or phrases that stand out to me. And I trust that God is speaking to me through his word. And then, and then I, I, I write down some things that I feel God's saying to me. And then I write out a prayer. It's very simple. But it's a pattern and a habit in my life that I know that I need in my life in order to keep me walking towards God and not walking away from him. And I know that for all of you as well, scripture and prayer are the things that God uses to foster a deepening relationship with him, scripture and prayer. So I want to encourage you, read Jonah as your scripture and then pray this summer for God to speak to you Begin to take some steps towards God, towards fostering and redeveloping that relationship with him. The first thing that happens when we run from God is that our relationship with God begins to diminish. The second thing that happens to us when we run from God is that God brings loving correction into our lives. He brings loving correction, loving discipline into our lives. Verse 4 here in Jonah says this, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. You see, what we read here is God is not going to let Jonah run away without trying to win Jonah back. Not pay him back, not get back at him, not to punish him for what he's done, but to win Jonah back, to get Jonah back into relationship with him. So God brings loving correction 
and consequences into Jonah's life in the form of a violent wind, a violent storm to bring intervention, to interrupt Jonah from heading in the direction that he was heading. God sends a storm so powerful that the sailors start to throw cargo overboard. This would not have been a profitable journey for these sailors throwing cargo overboard. And there's, they're so afraid and terrified by this storm that they begin to hold a little prayer meeting on the deck of the ship. And it's almost like they say, hey, we don't care what God you pray to. Try them all, but just call out to God because this is not a normal storm. You see, these guys were sailors. They knew the Mediterranean Sea, and they knew that something else was happening here. There was a deeper undercurrent to this storm than just a normal, ordinary storm. God was doing something here. God was doing all of this. Why? Why did God do this? See, because of God's love for Jonah and for the people of Nineveh, God was bringing loving correction into Jonah's life. God disciplines those who he loves. God was trying to win Jonah back, not pay him back. He was trying to bring him back into right relationship, into obedience with God. And quite literally here, God was trying to wake Jonah up. Jonah's fast asleep. Physically and spiritually, God was trying to wake Jonah up. God brings loving correction and discipline into our lives for the purpose of waking us up from running away from him. Proverbs 3 says this. My child, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. You see, friend, friends, God delights in you. God loves you. As a father, as a good father, loves his children. And he brings correction into your lives. Don't be upset when he does that. Don't reject his correction when he does that. A number of years ago, I was leading a, a high school uh, student group. And this evening that we were meeting, the conversation went to uh, the way that each of the students' parents uh, had restrictions on them and curfew and, and things like that. And so during the conversation, <coughs> one of the students said, in just a very matter-of-fact way, the student said, you know what, my parents, they... They don't really concern themselves about whose home I'm going to, where I'm going, who I'm going to be with, when I'm going to come home. I don't have a curfew. Um, it's just the way my parents are with me. And, and she just went on to describe that. And after she was finished, the rest of the students just, you know, their mouths were hanging open and they were saying, that's awesome. Your parents are so amazing. <laughs> and then they started to be almost critical you know, towards the ways that their parents were parenting them and saying, well, my mom, dad want me home at 9 o'clock and my mom wants me home at 10 o'clock and they want to know where I'm going and who I'm with and how I'm getting there and when I'm going to get there and when I'm going to leave and they, they just want to know everything about me and that's the way, I mean, you can imagine, right? That's the way the conversation was going. And then this first student that spoke up after there was a bit of a lull in the conversation, 
she said, well, at least you know that your parents love you. At least you know your parents love you. You see, what the student knew was that loving parents, loving parents put parameters and boundaries and restrictions and rules and bring correction and bring discipline and bring advice and bring wise counsel into the lives of their children, not to be controlling, but because they love their children. They love their children. And friends, know that God loves you. He delights in you, and he will bring correction into your life, not to pay you back, but to win you back to him. In my experience, God rarely brings correction into our lives in the same way. At times, his correction and his discipline does come in the form of, of consequences to our actions. God does that at times. But more often than not, I think God brings correction through the people in our lives. Has someone ever called you up and said, hey, you know, let's go out for coffee. Let's have a bit of a conversation. And, and when they meet with you, they bring up and put their finger directly on something that you know the Lord wants you to pay attention to, but you haven't paid attention to it. You know it's there, and they might ask a question and say, so tell me how your marriage is going. You might say, well, why are you asking about that? And they say, well, you know what, I just noticed some things. I just want to know how your marriage is going. Or they might say, well, how, how are you and the Lord doing? And you say, well, why is that? Well, I haven't seen you a part of our community group in quite some time. Or, or they might ask another question that pokes at you and that gets at an issue that gets at something in your life that you know God has been wanting you to pay attention to. And in that way, God brings discipline and God brings correction into your life and mine through the people around us. God does that. God does that. Usually God will prompt someone to talk with you about something that the Lord wants you to pay attention to you. But here's the thing. When we are running from God, it's almost like we have blinders on we're so short-sighted and we can't see what's, what's happening in the distance and, and we can't see what is happening around us. Our vision is completely on the wrong things. And friends, there's been far too many people in my life that have turned from God and run in the opposite direction. And despite the phone calls, despite the text messages, despite me saying, I want to meet with you for lunch or coffee or sitting down and directly talking with them, despite all of that, they continue to run away from God. And it's heartbreaking because they can't see where they're headed. But at times, at times, people have turned back to God. They've turned back to God. They've confessed and repented and turned back and are stepping towards God. You see, it could be that the consequences of your decisions are enough to, to, to turn you around to walk towards God, or God will send a person into your life. You see, what we see in the scripture here is that God is sending Jonah to the people of Nineveh. God will send someone into your life to bring correction to bring loving correction, loving discipline in order to win you back. Or at times, as you are reading scripture and you're praying, you will come across a word or a phrase or a verse or a chapter and God will be directly speaking to your spirit. 
with something that he wants to say to you to win you back. God does that through his word and through prayer. You see, there's no prescribed pattern. There's no prescription. There's no, there's no you know, prescri- prescribed pattern for the way that God brings correction into your life and into mine. But God will try to get our attention. He will try to get our attention to win him back. So why does God do this? Again, because he loves you. Because he delights in you. And he does not want you to miss out on the plans, on the future that he has for you. You see, when we're running from God, we miss out on what God has for us. We miss out on blessing. We miss out on seeing his power active in our life. We miss seeing the transformation of people around us. We miss seeing the power of Christian community. We miss seeing so much of what God has in store for us because we run away from him. But when we turn our attention back to him and we follow him, then we're able to experience all that God has for us, the amazing, abundant life that he has for us in Jesus Christ. His loving correction is an invitation to be in relationship with you. It's an invitation for you to walk in obedience with him. You see, I don't think any of us decide to run from God through one single decision or through one moment. Maybe that happens at times, but as I look at Jonah here, God spoke to Jonah so clearly. And then Jonah had a decision to make. He probably had some time to make this decision. And what we see here is that in Jonah's life, a decision and a choice and a decision and a choice and a decision and a choice moves him to the point that he gets on a boat and heads in the opposite direction from God. It's the same in our lives. It's the same in our lives. You see, when we know what God wants us to do through his word, God's clear about some things that he wants us to do ways that he wants us to live. But then other times God may speak to you, specifically speak to me, and he may say, Kent, I want you to do this. I want you to say this. I want you, Kent, to pay attention to this area of your life. Be careful here. When God speaks to us through his word or by his spirit to our spirit, we have a decision to make. We have a choice to make. And when it all comes down to it, we have a choice to say yes to God or say no. And my challenge for you all, for us this morning, is that we say yes to God. And by saying yes to God, we say no to other things. We say no to the lies from our world. We say no to the lies in our culture. We say no to things that are causing us to live in disobedience to God. We say no, truly, to Satan. And we say yes to God. You see, any step towards God is a step away from lies. Any step towards God is a decision and a choice, and it's deciding that you have been wrong in your thinking, that you could manage your life alone, that you know what is best for your life. A step towards God is deciding that you've been wrong in thinking that, that you could get the strength or the ed- education or the training or whatever it might be to make it on your own. A step towards God is saying that Jesus is the truth. And everything that Jesus says is the truth. Stepping towards God puts you in a a place of peace, puts you in a place where you can pursue God to that point that we spend eternity with him. 
Stepping towards God is believing that God rules and provides for the world. Stepping towards God, moving towards God is believing that God loves you and that God made you. To be in relationship with him and to accomplish his purpose in the world. Stepping towards God is believing that at the center, at the very center of our lives is Jesus Christ. That he was crucified on the cross for our sin that he was raised from the tomb for our salvation and that we can participate in a life with him, experiencing his mercy and his grace, responding to his love and living with him in obedience. Stepping towards God is a decision and a choice and declaring all of these things. And friends, it's a moment-by-moment, everyday decision, hour-by-hour, day-by-day, month-by-month, year-by-year that we make and continuing to walk towards God instead of running away from him. And for some of you in this room, you have been running away from God. Again, it might be an area of your life or it might be the whole of your life. And we want to allow you an opportunity this morning to make a decision once again or maybe for the first time to step towards God, to move towards God and to stop running from him. And living your life in obedience to him and really accepting this invitation from God to win you back. And the words of the song that we're going to sing together now are really a prayer. They're a prayer of surrender. They're a prayer of commitment. They're a prayer of devotion. And they're a decision that we're going to be singing here. So my invitation to you is to once again, for the first time, decide you're going to follow Jesus, not run from God. You might want to come forward here to the front as we sing this song. Spend some time in prayer on your own. You may want to stand. You may want to sit. But use these moments right now between you and the Lord, again, responding to, your, to his invitation to you. Our Heavenly Father, You are the one who makes extravagant promises to us, amazing promises to us. And we love and rest in your promise of faithfulness to us, your promise to be present to us, your promise to guard and provide and watch and guide us, your promise to forgive us, your promise to rescue us, redeem us, save us, your promise of eternal life. You are a God of promises. We know as well that you are a God who always comes with the call for us to obey call for us to be faithful, a call for us to listen to you, a call for us to live in obedience to you, a call for us to be in relationship and communion with you. And you are the God who calls people like us. And the long list of people before us, people who trusted in you enough to answer your call, your invitation to live life with you. And so we give you thanks today that you are a calling God, you're an inviting God, you're a gracious and compassionate and merciful God. You are a God who is so patient with us. And you always call us to new places. And so we pray this morning, God, that enough of your grace and your mercy and your power would be with us so that we would be among those people who believe in you and trust in you enough to respond to your call to follow, follow you. We want to be these kinds of people. Jesus, help us. And now may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, 
May he be gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.